3: Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's Brian Kilmey coming to you from uh, New York, but heard around the country, heard around the world. Ronna McDaniel will be with us in about 10 minutes. And then we'll be joined by Senator Joni Ernst. Uh, She is, as you know, uh, reelected. She's got five and a half more years. Armed Services Committee cannot be happy with this slight increase on the defense budget when everything else. uh, We have a spending palooza. I think it sends the wrong message. We're also riding the breaking news of the summit underway in uh, what we're seeing now over in Switzerland, where Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden have gone behind closed doors with their respective teams, a little bit of pushing and shoving. Uh, the American press was hit. Uh, it looks as though no one was seriously hurt, but it definitely affected the first cameo shot, that first spray shot when you both uh, both leaders along with their secretaries of states, uh, sit in those chairs and look at each other. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. Former President Trump will join Texas Governor Greg Abbott for a
3: tour of the border later this month.
5: It comes as Abbott vows to fund border wall construction. He will unveil more details about his plan today.
3: So there you go. Uh, Here we go. President Trump is going to go to the border and hold rallies in Ohio and Florida, what should he say and what role should he play in getting Congress back in the hands of Republicans?
0: Number two.
6: You can't even have fun nowadays without these uh, jackasses trying to get you counseled and things <laughs> like that. I said, context matters. They're like, context doesn't matter. I said, that's total BS. Context always has to matter. But now, if you crack a joke the wrong way, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You crossed the line.
3: Charles Barkley speaking since, never woken up from comedians to NBA legends. More and more uh, unlikely critics are emerging to push back on cancel culture, that whole craze, in the critical race curriculum. Will it be enough to stem the offensive tide? Number one, Mr. President of the Russian Federation,
7: Mr. President of the United States of America, on behalf of the Swiss government, I would like to welcome you to Geneva, the city of peace. I wish you both presidents a fruitful dialogue in the interest of your two countries and the world. Best wishes and goodbye.
3: Uh, And goodbye. I will not be staying. I'm the president of Switzerland. I will not be refereeing. I don't have a striped shirt on, but that is uh, the Swiss president saying, go ahead, use my place and try to work something out. Uh, Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden were by his side. It was uh, Joe Biden to his immediate left and Vladimir Putin to his immediate right. Uh, Vladimir Putin ran a little bit late, came back out for the three shot, then went inside to sit and then they were back. All right. So let's talk about what's going to take place today. Uh, we know they're going to talk for about five hours. No, They're not going to have a lunch break. They'll work right through. First, it'll be one-on-one with translators. Then they're gradually going to bring more and more staffers. It'll be Sergey Lavrov, the foreign minister. He'll be countered by Secretary of State Anthony Blinken. It was a big mistake, in my view, for the President of the United States to sign off on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. Why not negotiate that? Number one, it should be non-negotiable. You should not allow the Russians to flow natural gas and oil to our European allies. That means they'll get control of the their energy. That means gas and oil. Germany totally cut NATO's knees out in doing so. That is the hub it passes through. And guess who they don't pass through? The Ukraine. And then the president of the United States gets real polite. Remember when he first said this about uh, Vladimir Putin and Russia? Cut three.
1: The biggest threat to America right now in terms of breaking up our our security and our
3: alliances is Russia. Remember this. Cut four. So you know Vladimir Putin. You think he's a killer?
8: Mm-hmm. I do. So what price must he pay? The price he's going to pay, well, you'll see shortly.
3: Right? Big, big tough guy. Yeah, uh, we're not going to, you know, they are our enemy. We're going to stand up to it. They're not going to pull that with me. Uh, Trump is, uh, Trump kowtows to uh, Vladimir Putin. And then Joe Biden sounds a little bit different yesterday. Cut six. I have met with him. He's bright. He's tough. And uh, I have found that... Uh, He is a, uh, as they say, when he used to play ball, a worthy adversary. Right. Uh, So a worthy adversary. Gary Kasparov, the tennis, excuse me, the chess legend, who is a big critic and a very learned guy of Vladimir Putin. He says the guy's a mobster. He says this is all a crime syndicate. And even by showing up, uh, Joe Biden looks weak, can't win. He was just on with me. Cut 13.
9: Putin already got what he wanted, a summit. Yeah, He might get even more, but the main exchange has already happened. Biden gave the credibility of the United States to a brutal dictator. And I heard a lot from those who defended the idea of the summit that Biden would go to Geneva to deliver a message, you know, very strong message. He'll talk tough. But if Biden wanted to send a real message to Putin, he would meet with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. He goes to Kiev. Uh, uh, that's a message uh, because Putin is, in, is invading Ukraine. He would meet uh, with Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, the real president of Belarus, living in exile. Or he'll meet with the families of Putin victims, like Alexei Navalny's family. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, now he's representing America and the free world, and he gave Putin one of the greatest geopolitical triumphs.
3: Uh, listen. That's the Russian perspective, too, of somebody who wanted Russia to go more on the line that uh, Boris Yeltsin and uh, Mikhail Gorbachev was leading them. You saw a breath of fresh air when Medvedev took over, and then he came back and got the presidency back to Vladimir Putin, and he's been in charge since, and they have been a thorn in our side. But economically, their GDP is literally 0.0. As Gary Kasparov pointed out, the people of Russia don't trust him. Only something like 5% have gotten the Russian vaccine. They want no part of it. The way he handled it was terrible. The way he uh, the way he jails his opponents is ridiculous. Guess what Navalny did? He got video of all the oligarchs, including Vladimir Putin's many houses, and they see what a posh life they have and the money they took from the Russian people. That's what Joe Biden should be exposing. The, the, the opulent lifestyle of Vladimir Putin, who should be living amongst the Russian people, he's obviously stealing uh, uh, globally. you got to find a way to hurt him in his assets around the globe. But instead, Joe Biden, and I want him to be successful. The minute he takes office says, oh, you know that START treaty the Russians are cheating on? I want to renew it for five years. You know that Nord Stream 2 pipeline that Donald Trump delayed? I want to put that back in play. Are you kidding me? And I'm going to really talk tough. I'm going to call him a soulless killer. How dumb is that? They end up kicking both ambassadors out of their country. That might be the case. But if you want something from somebody, you don't start off a relationship like that and then quickly backtrack. Now, they're not going to appear together at the end. We all know that. You've talked about that. It's been reported. So I just thought thought about it this morning. Why are we doing it? So in terms of something concrete, he denies that uh, these Russian cyber uh, these uh, cyber ransom attackers, on our, uh, which was on our meat line as well as our oil and gas line, the colonial pipeline that brought, I guess, the East Coast down to its knees in terms of oil and gas, doubled gas prices, paid $5 million, comes from Russia. Uh, you go, you have no proof. Hey, when it comes to that that meat company that really furnishes the meat for most of the Midwest, that uh, put meat prices through the roof. It caused panic. They paid a big ransom. Russians say, you can't prove I did that. What are we having this meeting for? I mean, what are we having
10: the meeting for? Dan Hoffman used to work in Russia. CIA cut eighteen. I SHARE YOUR CONCERN ABOUT THE PRESS CONFERENCE, THAT'S THE IDEAL OPPORTUNITY TO HOLD VLADIMIR PUTIN ACCOUNTABLE FOR HIS MULTIFARIOUS ATTACKS ON OUR DEMOCRACY FROM ELECTION INTERFERENCE TO CYBER HACKING GROUPS WHICH HOMESTEAD ON RUSSIAN TERRITORY, DRAW THOSE RED LINES, IF YOU DON'T DO THAT, THEN YOU DON'T HAVE ANY HOPE FOR PEACE AND STABILITY, THERE'S NO PEACE WITHOUT STRENGTH WHEN IT COMES TO RUSSIA. And I think that's a real missed opportunity, frankly.
3: It is. And Dan Hoffman also talked about, too. Listen, if if you're comfortable with the country you're in and the strategy we have, you kind of want that moment. Now, I know it could be a little intimidating. This is the fifth president for Vladimir Putin. He's been doing this job for about 25 years. But Joe Biden's been doing his job since 1978. He's been overseas. Jimmy Carter asked him to go deal with the Soviet Union in the 70s. He's been there as vice president you can't sit shoulder to shoulder with Vladimir Putin and let him know, I know you hacked our pipeline. I know the SolarWinds hack. I know what you did in 2016, what you tried to do in 2020. What's the big deal? Cut 17.
10: Well, I think that Vladimir Putin's intelligence services, the SVR, that's their foreign intelligence service, and the FSB, their internal service, which... PUTIN LED uh, FOR A COUPLE OF YEARS BEFORE BECOMING uh, PRIME MINISTER. THEY MOUNTED A FULL COURT PRESS WITH MASSIVE ESPIONAGE JUST TO DETERMINE EVERYTHING THEY CAN ABOUT PRESIDENT JOE BIDEN, INCLUDING HIS HEALTH AND HIS POLICIES AND HOW HE he WILL PROCEED ON SOME OF THE KEY ISSUES OF THE DAY. WE HAVEN'T TALKED ABOUT HAVANA SYNDROME, THAT PULSE MICROWAVE, TARGETING OUR OFFICIALS uh, FROM CUBA TO CHINA AND INCLUDING INSIDE MOSCOW, AS WELL AS REPORTEDLY NEAR THE WHITE HOUSE. IT'S ANOTHER ISSUE TO RAISE.
3: IT IS. Joni Ernst at the bottom of the hour, uh, RNC chair Ronna McDaniel coming up next. We're going to talk about Donald Trump getting back into the fray, even though he's still not on social media. We'll talk about that. He's actually going to the border, too. And we'll talk about uh, winning back the House. It can't happen soon enough. This country's in trouble. I'm not sure that Joe Biden fully realizes it. We'll find, We'll monitor all the occurrences as it comes out of the summit in Switzerland. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show.
2: Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
11: From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
3: As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of.
2: information you want truth you demand this is the brian kilmeade show
0: trump has elevated him uh trump um in, from the very beginning even when he was running uh in 2016 uh basically uh, lifted up russia and lifted up putin uh as against our own country and our own president and that behavior and that rhetoric continued. So it's difficult to say, let's turn the clock back and go from where I thought we were when I left being uh, secretary of state.
3: Really? With the stupid reset button? Remember? When they went into Georgia and you did nothing? Remember? Remember? And they went to the Ukraine. Remember, in 2008, remember, you pulled out the missile system from Western Europe and got nothing in return. Please, Hillary Clinton, don't brag about your relations with Russia when you were secretary of state. She is still not over the loss. Ronna McDaniel, RNC chair, joins us now. Uh, Ronna's got a brand new uh, uh, podcast that she's launching uh, as you travel the country to share stories outside of Washington. Uh, Ronna, welcome back.
5: Great to be with you. Thank you. And I agree. Hillary has no room to talk when she handed over the reset button. And now we've watched Biden cowed out of P- Putin already saying you can do the Nord Stream 2 pipeline while killing energy jobs in America by killing the Keystone pipeline.
3: So right now you have the uh, President Biden going behind closed doors with Vladimir Putin. But he's already given up the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. He's already given up by renewing the START program that the president uh, got out of. Uh, and renewed it for five more years. So he gave up some leverage almost right away.
5: He did it right right off the bat. And let's not forget, we were just attacked by, by Russia, dark web, uh, with our infrastructure, with our energy, and our food supply. So let's go sit with Putin, and let's make sure he knows that that we're not going to retaliate. That there's nothing that he can do that will make the United States of America walk away from him. I mean, actions speak louder than words, and and Biden's actions have been total, you know, acquiescence to Russia and Putin.
3: Yeah, I mean, no doubt about it so far. So, uh, Ronna McDaniel with us, uh, Ronna. No doubt about it. Uh, Kevin McCarthy feels as though he's a year and a half away from being Speaker. Where is the money at for the House races, and what role do you think President Trump should play?
5: Well, we're already, from the RNC perspective, we're already building out our offices, and a big part of my focus as RNC chair has been to be in communities that have habitually been Democrat and introduce them to the Republican Party, and you've seen huge gains and. African-American and Asian and Hispanic communities as they've been introduced to our party. We saw that in 2020. We're doing that again for 2022. Uh, And also redistricting is a huge factor. President Trump will be a factor in helping turn out voters that may not identify as Republican, but love President Trump. And we're going to need him on the field to help make sure everyone understands the importance of taking back the House and the Senate.
3: So he's going to be in Florida and he's going to be in Ohio. And first, he's going to go to the border, President Trump. What should the message be?
5: Well, I think it's interesting that he's going to the border, even though Biden and Kamala have been invited multiple times by Governor Abbott. Kamala has been in charge of this. It's been 84 days. She refuses to go to the border. And President Trump going there, I think, even highlights more of the failures of, of this administration, this Biden administration. But I think his message has to be, very clear. Uh, America's freedom is on the line. You're watching Democrats take over every aspect of our country with big tech, with media, now the corporate wolf culture with our education. If they have every lever of power, they'll take over the election process, stack the Supreme Court, get rid of the filibuster. I mean, we have the fundamental foundation of our nation on the line with this election. And that is why we have to take back the House and the Senate. It's five seats to take back the House one seat to take majority in the Senate.
3: Here's Terry McAuliffe on another issue that's resonating with Republicans, and I hope Democrats, and that's critical race theory. Having white people say, I'm an oppressor, and blacks saying, I am uh, economically distressed, and I can't make it in this uh, this country. Here's Terry McAuliffe who wants to be governor again of Virginia. Cut 35.
12: With all the Republicans are talking about, like, critical race theory, and they're making this huge deal about it, and it's all the conversation in the news with Virginia, like, what are you going to say to all those people making
8: education about that?
4: That's another right-wing conspiracy. Okay. This is a totally made up by Donald Trump and Glenn Youngkin. This is who they are. It's a conspiracy theory. People want to know about, why are we not paying our teachers? Why are we down 1,000 teachers today? Why? And why are 50 percent of our schools 50 years old? This is what people want to know about.
3: Well, he was governor once. Is this a right-wing conspiracy, critical race theory? Is that that something you concocted?
5: No. Unfortunately, it's not. This is where academia is going. Uh, It is sad. I think it's based in racism for the Democrats to say to African-American kids, uh, you you start off as a victim, uh, your future is limited, and to set up this race division in our elementary schools is just counterintuitive to what our country stands for, but it goes along with what they've done with the election laws. I mean, Joe Biden calling the Georgia law Jim Crow laws, it's just a flat out lie. To say that uh, because you're Hispanic or African American, you're incapable of getting a voter ID is just racist. That's ridiculous for them to say that. Uh, Republicans are saying we should have safeguards that are common sense that 77% of Americans agree with. But Democrats are devaluing the horror of racism by using it for political gain.
3: You would think so, but President Biden didn't let his overseas trip stop him from taking a shot at you guys. Yeah. Let's I think it's a f- appropriate to say that um,
9: the Republican Party is v-
4: His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you're subscribed to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
8: Vastly diminished in numbers.
9: The leadership of the Republican Party is
3: fractured. I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Are, you guys have actually added to
5: your party, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, go read the autopsy put out by the Democrat Party in the past few months talking about the losses that they suffered in 2020, Republicans picking up 15 house seats, making gains in communities that have been traditionally Democrat. Uh, They know that our party is growing because people love this country. And the Democrat Party is now trying to undermine the United States of America, being the greatest nation on earth the freest nation, and they want to apologize for our country, and the vast majority of Americans are proud to be members of this country, right. to be citizens of this country, and they want to see that upheld.
3: Rono how do we get your podcast?
5: Anywhere. Anywhere. Go to our GOP site, Spotify, Apple, iHeart, and for me, it's a passion point to talk to leaders about how they made real-time decisions in a longer format, mm-hmm. and I'm following your footsteps.
3: Got it. It's fun. Real America with Ronna McDaniel. Ronna, thanks so much.
4: Jason in the House, the Jason
12: Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.
2: From his mouth to your ears, ears. it's Brian Kilmeade.
5: Yeah, I MEAN IT'S A REMARKABLE THING THE uh, STATEMENT THAT CAME OUT OF THE G7 AND THEY SAID WELL WE'RE LOOKING TO THE WHO TO AGAIN and DO AN INVESTIGATION. THIS IS THE SAME WHO THAT COMPLETELY STRUCK OUT THE FIRST TIME AND YOU HAVE TO ASK YOURSELF WHY THAT HAPPENED AND IT WAS BECAUSE PART OF THEIR INVESTIGATORY TEAM INCLUDED SCIENTISTS WHO HAD CLEAR CONFLICTS OF INTEREST uh, BECAUSE they had BEEN INVOLVED WITH THE FUNDING OF THE WUHAN INSTITUTE THAT IS UNDER SUSPICION. Um, And so uh, it's not entirely clear why they think there's going to be a different result this time, especially because China is simply refusing to give access to the lab and to key data and and reports.
3: Uh, That is Kimberly Strassel of The Wall Street Journal saying that the whole Wuhan lab leak seems more plausible than not plausible, uh, implausible. And the whole fact that you were questioning that this whole bat to pangolin was uh, not likely— Well, it put you on the bad side of Anthony Fauci. You got you banned from Facebook. It made you look like a conspiracy theorist. You're somebody who's just blindly following Donald Trump. Right, because Donald Trump got intelligence, didn't mind telling people, I really don't think this came from uh, animals or a wet market. I think this actually was, uh, you know, gain-of-function research. That we, uh, It's a term we're all used to saying now. Robert Redfield came out speaking, too. You know, he's a CDC chair. He said, I had opinions. It was very similar to Donald Trump. In fact, no doubt in my mind, unofficially, I could easily get confirmation, I'll try, that they were talking a lot offline and saying, listen, Mr. President, this is what I do for a living. I'm one of the best. I'm not buying what China's giving me. I need to get into China. So we'd ask Anthony Fauci, put it up the chain, and said, listen, can you get me into China? I need to see this lab. I need to do my own investigation. I'm not looking to point fingers. I'm looking to design a test that would actually stop the American people from— being besieged and overrun by this virus. So here's what Dr. uh, Redfield said about the WHO, uh, excuse me, uh, about the leak coming from the lab, Cut 41.
13: I didn't think it was biologically um, plausible that COVID-19 went from a bat to some unknown animal into man and now had become one of the most infectious viruses to man immediately. That's not consistent with how other coronaviruses have come into the human species. There's an alternative hypothesis that it went from a a bat virus got into a laboratory where in the laboratory it was uh, taught, educated, it evolved so that it became a virus that could efficiently transmit human to human. My professional opinion as a virologist is that's that's the hypothesis that I support. You know, other individuals, Tony Fauci, for example, would say that he prefers to support that evolved from nature. I think those are the two hypotheses.
3: But Fauci ruled the day. Fauci had the purse strings. They're looking into the whole setup. If you want to be able to do research, you don't insult somebody else's who's in leadership and has the checkbook. You don't ever challenge what they have to say. Anthony Fauci was trying to keep uh, the natives from being restless going to Europe at emergency meetings, saying this could have come from the lab, but not telling us that. So guess who the networks are blaming for the fact that we didn't believe that this came from a lab and that China's been getting away with murder and we passed the threshold of 600,000 Americans dead. Listen to Terry Moran of ABC. Now that it seems pretty plausible and that Donald Trump was right, cut 47. President Trump weaponized this subject and made the very questioning of the origins of the virus radioactive for a lot of people. No, that's you. You are the reason you looked at what Trump's saying instead of looking at the merit of what he's saying. You say, well, Trump said it, so it can't be true. You don't weaponize it. He says the China virus, the Kung flu, because it came from China. And they, by the way, they took over Hong Kong in the middle of this when we're trying to fight it. And they might have had a vaccine in February. And now we find out it might have been here in September. Certainly we got hit in New York by Europe, who got infected because China's all over Italy, especially Italians like to come here. Little did we know we were being infected and being slammed slowly but surely oh, with this plague. Senator Rand Paul has had enough. He looks at the G7, sees the pandemic, that in many cases is in our rearview mirror, but sadly it's about to hit the third world. And the content of Africa, big time, cut 45. Here's the problem the WHO investigated this the first time. We suggested three people to send to China. They rejected all three and they accepted a guy named Peter Dazak, who was the one who funded the lab. So you can't have the people like Peter, Anthony Fauci or Peter Dazak. Who, who were part of the funding mechanism to send these funds to Wuhan lab, you can't have them investigating themselves. They have a definite conflict of interest because if, it, if this pandemic started in a lab that the U.S. was funding, the people advocating for the funding obviously will have you know, culpability, at least moral culpability. Where's Anthony Fauci now? I don't see him, do you? This is the longest I have not seen him on television in a year and a half, year and a half. I mean, this guy was doing Steph Curry's podcast. He was doing—and you heard Dr. McCurry last week. He said, "I, you know, sometimes I get requests to go on television, especially with my book out, and I'd look at—my you. Know, my staff would look at the size of the podcast, the size of the show, and say, you know, Dr. McCurry, you're better off seeing patients. It's probably not worth your time. Good people, just not a big following. He said, Anthony Fauci would be doing that very podcast. The guy said yes to everything. Why is that? I mean, he's a, he's a fame-monger. Or he's trying to control the narrative to make sure people like him and don't go aggressively after him for the role that U.S. might have played in financing some of this dangerous research. They could have poisoned the world like we haven't seen since 1918. Do you see how one could be linked to the other? I certainly do. The Washington Post, though, has decided that the more people go after this Wuhan link, the Wuhan lab link, the more they'll go after the people that do. So when yesterday John Stewart came out and said this on uh, the Late Show, uh, said this on the Late Show with Stephen uh, Stephen Colbert, who's his uh, good friend. He's the, uh, actually technically he's the executive producer of that show. Do we have uh, we have John Stewart? So here's here's what he said. And then I'll tell you what the Washington Post wrote. There's there's a chance that this was created in a lab. There's an investigation. A chance? Well, but I'm, I don't. So, I, 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 oh my god! There's evidence. I'd love to hear it. There's I just a
1: know. N- novel
11: respiratory coronavirus overtaking wuhan china what do we do oh you know who we could ask the wuhan novel respiratory coronavirus lab the disease is the same name as the lab how did this happen and they're like "Mm, a pangolin kissed a turtle The only coronavirus we have is in Wuhan, yes, where they have a lab called... What's the lab called again, Stephen?
3: The Wuhan Novel Coronavirus Lab. I believe that's uh-huh. the case. And now, how long have you worked for Senator Ron Johnson? Let me tell you something. So, by the way, Stephen Colbert just proved... What we've been saying on this show, 100% correct. I like Ryan Johnson. Every time he comes up and says things like it is, like hydroxychloroquine needs to be studied, and when it is studied, they'll find out it works. It turned out to be correct. He said scientists come forward and talk about their success. They've had those, those Senate hearings banned from YouTube, and he always said this came from a lab leak. So John Stewart said what he said. Paul Waldman writes in The Washington Post today about John Stewart. This theory has been associated with conservatives trying to prove the former president Donald Trump was right about everything. Yet Stewart apparently thinks it's the only plausible explanation for the virus. This provides an important lesson about celebrities. You shouldn't get your political opinions from them or your scientific opinions either. They're not experts. And the reason we listen to experts is that they know more than we do. And if they know more about things than others, then we have to understand where we shouldn't listen to them and the limits of their knowledge. So let me take a step back. Are you an expert, Paul Waldman? I don't think you are. I think you're a columnist. You know who is an expert? A lot of scientists. A guy like Jamie Metzl, a guy like the former CDC director Redfield, a guy like Dr. Stephen Kwai. So if he cited them and put a bibliography out in his talk show appearance on what's supposed to be a comedy show, that'll be more effective. I can't believe I'm defending Jon Stewart. But this is a guy that was able to Uh, Wax poetically about the evils of Fox and Trump and Bush and everything else, and everyone worshipped at him. But he says something that is different from the Democratic or Anthony Fauci's mantra, and now he should stay out of it because he's a comedian. All right, I'll hold you to that. So when he comes out and rips Trump the next time or DeSantis tomorrow, we'll say, well, what does he really know he's a comedian or she's a comedian? Please. 1-866-408-7669. 7669 four zero eight seven six six nine. I'll come back and take some of your calls. Got our singles crossed with Joni Ernst just a little bit. Just got to remind you too. Hosting tonight, seven o'clock prime time. Having a great time. I'm considering doing something I haven't done yet, and that's changing tie, uh, my shirt and tie for this. Make it seem like a different day. How do you feel about that, Allison? That's
14: a bold move for me, Brian.
3: Right. I mean, for me because I keep nothing here. That's a lot of true. people keep everything here. I keep nothing here.
14: But do you have an extra shirt and tie. I did. So do you want to change just because you have the extra or you feel the urge to change? I feel
3: like I want to turn the page because I feel like my day never ends. You know, Like I want to to unbutton and button something.
14: So you feel change your clothes as a new day.
3: I was thinking about that.
14: Makes sense. Right. I will say most of the time it's the women that change their outfits, not really the men.
3: Right. I'm I'm a little, like Boris Johnson would be very happy. He wants a more
14: feminine (laughs) world. So I'm giving him what he wants. Always aiming to please those abroad,
3: Brian. Back in a moment.
2: Educating, entertaining, enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmead. From the Fox News Podcasts
11: Network, download and listen to the one with Craig Gutfeld, the co host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going
2: to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmead Show.
0: Putin made it his mission to deny me uh, the presidency in part because, you know, I did uh, raise issues that were uncomfortable with him. I did speak out about uh, the oppression uh, and frankly, the rigged elections uh, in uh, Russia, because I do think you need both an inside and an outside game. You need a public and a private uh, approach to Putin.
3: Right. Okay. That's fine. She has experience. I don't doubt Hillary Clinton's bright. But can we also say she's bitter? Can you possibly say that Donald Trump didn't get over his 2020 loss without bringing up Hillary Clinton, who never admits she lost? Vladimir Putin did not deliver the election for Hillary Clinton. What Vladimir Putin did is create chaos. And guess who was president during that time? The guy that could have stopped it. President Obama, the guy that put sanctions after Hillary lost, President Obama, the guy that let Vladimir Putin roll right over him, that was President Obama, the guy that whispered and said to Medvedev, tell Vladimir, I have a lot more flexibility after my last election win, and he said, fine, that's the deal, all right, so President Trump, never supposed to be President Trump, but he beat you because you were absolutely awful, could not run your organization, Barack Obama bankrupted the DNC, and your message was awful, you were lazy, you couldn't attract a crowd, you had no momentum, you wanted to run on your last name and your gender, and America said no. And for those people who say that Joe Biden had a convincing win, you have to say that Donald Trump had a convincing win. You can't have it both ways. So... In terms of what Hillary Clinton has said over the last few years, everyone loves criticizing Trump and saying, bad loser, and I think you have a good point there. But please do not give Hillary Clinton
0: a pass. Listen. Take the Benghazi tragedy. Boy, it was turned into a political football. I think the determining factor was the... Intervention by Comey. What about endemic sexism and misogyny? The other side has dedicated propaganda channels. That's what I call Fox News. I don't think the press did their job in this election. I felt I'd been shivved by then FBI director Jim Comey. Did you make enough mistakes yourself to lose the election without any of the other things you talk about? Well, I will say no.
3: <laughs> Finally, someone asked a real question. I've By the way, that was from her book on tape, right? I've been shivved. That's a knife in your back by Comey. No. Listen to me. You used your personal email, your iPhone, your BlackBerry uh, for State Department official work. You were doing binearical things with your personal server, and the person who set it up never came clean, never responded to the subpoena, and disappeared. You opened yourself up. Comey gave you a pass in July, and when Uma Abedin... Walk back with her ridiculous mutant husband, Anthony Weiner, and somehow all her emails ended up on the laptop, and the FBI goes to investigate Weiner, and you see all these emails from the State Department on a personal laptop. Comey had no choice. I don't want to relive 2016. But if you're going to relive 2020 and January 6th every day, I think it's important that you have a counter argument at your barbecue or your 4th of July celebration. So, having said that, Gary Kasparov, fast forward to today. Right now, as I do this show, as you listen, five-hour meeting, roughly, maybe more. The President Biden and President Putin behind closed doors. Putin had a huge boon when NBC sat down and gave him an hour and a half interview. They liked it so much, they're airing it all over Russian TV on a loop where he came off very calm, calculated, and said, he's got red lines for Joe Biden to follow. Wow. That's interesting, isn't it? We think that he has some explaining to do because he hacked into SolarWinds Project he hacked, tried to hack into the 2020 election because he took down the colonial pipeline and that meat service that really services most of the Midwest, Canada, and parts of Australia. You thought that was a big deal. But no, he's mad at us. So Gary Kasparov was on with us. Here's more of what he said uh, will take place just by this meeting.
9: 13. Putin already got what he wanted, A summit. Yeah, he might get even more, but the main exchange has already happened. Biden gave the credibility of the United States to a brutal dictator. And I heard a lot from those who defended the idea of the summit that Biden would go to Geneva to deliver a message. You know, a very strong message. He'll talk tough. But if Biden wanted to send a real message to Putin, he would meet with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. He goes to Kiev. Uh, uh, that's a message uh, because Putin is, in, is invading Ukraine. He would meet uh, with Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, the real president of Belarus, living in exile. Or he'll meet with the families of Putin victims, like Alexei Navalny's family. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, now he's representing America and the free world, and he gave Putin one of the greatest geopolitical triumphs.
3: Yeah, here's more. Isn't that a great point? I haven't heard that brought up by anyone. Gary Kasparov, the legendary chess player, Russian uh, outcast who's trying to bring democracy to that country like it was intended to go after Gorbachev uh, took down that wall and allowed his satellites to be independent countries. Here's more from Kasparov.
9: for Europe keeps caving in to Putin without American leadership, yep. and Biden was supposed to stop that, even campaign on it. He called Putin a killer, correctly. But looking tough in Geneva or using strong words doesn't matter. Action matters, and so far Biden is failing that test. And no matter what he says after this meeting, no matter what kind of press release uh, the the White House and State Department will will put uh, on, it's the the facts you know stays there. Putin got what he wanted because there is no common interest. There's no area of cooperation between Putin's mafia regime and the United States.
3: The only thing that obviously the only thing he cares about is retribution. We have to show him to get his respect. We have to show him what we're capable of doing. And right now, instead of a nuclear war, we're looking at a cyber war. It is all shifted from the Cold War. And that is Gary Kasparov, who offered some great salient advice. And Europe does not have a backbone. And they don't have a backbone for China either. Uh, they also don't have a backbone to stand up to Vladimir Putin. So here is what uh, we heard from the president of Ukraine, Zelensky. He says, there are problems, but there'll be your problem too. Cut 10.
1: The USA is a very long way from here. Why should ordinary Americans care what's happening here in Ukraine? It can be tomorrow, their houses. You're saying if Russia will do this here, I didn't know. it might do it tomorrow in the rest of Why Europe. No? Why not? The next day, attack America. Why
3: not?
5: I don't know why. Why not?
3: He wants to go. Zelensky, the, the former actor, has done a very good job by reports in the Ukraine. He wants to get into NATO. And if the President Biden wants to say something, how about this? We're looking at it fast-tracking them right in. Then it's game on. And that is with Vladimir Putin. That would get his attention. you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Thanks so much for being here.
11: Fox Nation presents Podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak.
1: I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, FoxNewsPodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian Kilmeade. Hi,
3: everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Just like the guy said, that is the host of the show. I'll be on the 7 o'clock tonight, but until then, it's just me and you. Claudia Rosset will be with us. You know Claudia, former Wall Street Journal, Moscow Bureau Chief, and Foreign Policy Fellow at Independent Women's Forum. I want to get her perspective now that round one is over, the one-on-one session, so to speak, between Vladimir Putin and a bunch of translators and Joe Biden. They met. They had their cameo appearance. They had their uh, their pool spray, so to speak. Not much has happened so far on this trip, even the G7 to the NATO summit. Not much news. This could generate news. I am not sure. It's up to the press. We will not know, I guess, until the press conference. First, Vladimir Putin around noon Eastern time, followed by uh, the President of the United States, second. They won't be together. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
3: Number three. Former President
2: Trump
4: will join Texas Governor Greg Abbott for a tour of the border later this month.
5: It comes as Abbott vows to fund border wall construction. He will unveil more details about his plan today.
3: That is, uh, pr- that is the news. President Trump going to go to the border, and then he's going to have rallies in Ohio and Florida in the coming weeks. What should he say? What role should he play in getting Congress back in the hands of Republicans? Number two.
6: You can't even have fun nowadays without these uh, jackasses trying to get you counseled and things (laughs) like that. I said, context matters. They're like, context doesn't matter. I said, that's total BS. Context always has to matter. But now, if you crack a joke the wrong way, they're like, oh, no, 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 no. You crossed the line. And he was talking about one of the things he talks about
3: is he really believes San Antonio women are are fat. And they said, you can't say that anymore. you got to apologize. You need to go to counseling. He's like, I'm not going to counseling. That's Charles Barkley. Never woken up. From comedians to NBA legends, more and more unlikely critics are emerging to push back on the cancel culture craze and the critical race curriculum. Will it be enough to stem the offensive tide?
7: Number one. Mr. President of the Russian Federation Mr. President of the United States of America On behalf of the Swiss government I would like to welcome you to Geneva The city of peace I wish you both presidents a fruitful dialogue In the interest of your two countries And the world Best
3: wishes and goodbye (laughs) Goodbye, I'm not staying I'm the president of Switzerland I don't want any trouble I don't like turmoil It's summit time Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden wrap up round one of their talks What is the best outcome for both? I believe this whole thing has switched from nuclear talks to cyber weapon talks. Let's find out from Claudia Rose, a Rosette, former Wall Street Journal Moscow bureau chief. Claudia, welcome back.
15: Thank you. Great to be here.
3: Claudia, so far, is there something noteworthy about the cameo appearances we saw? They both stood on the, uh, they both stood on the porch. All three of them stood on the porch with the Swiss president in between, and then they went inside. A little bit of a brawl, some skirmishes with Russian security and and American press. And now round one is now in the books. I think it lasted about two hours. Anything stand out with you?
15: These are frills that are kind of more fun to focus on than the, face it, rather boring stuff that comes out of the G7 and NATO. You know, you know, we have the face-to-face with the Russian dictator. That's always going to be more interesting to follow. The problem is there's no substance here. This is a delusional summit on the U.S. side. Uh, Vladimir Putin unfortunately is a seasoned KGB trained professional he's been dictator of Russia for more than 20 years and he's walking in there having put out all these things that say don't mess with Russia the United States is walking in there with a president who I hope can remember the difference between Syria and Libya during this long session.
3: Because he wasn't like, able to earlier.
15: Yeah and who has been signaling weakness and deference over and over. I mean, just take for one standout example. Uh, Russia has depended on energy. It's a big energy warehouse for generations to power what it does. And President Biden began his term with the gift of killing the Keystone Pipeline, attacking the U.S. energy industry, destroying the really prized energy independence we had finally achieved, and then waived the sanctions for the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, where Russia will deliver fuel to what will be an increasingly—Europe increasingly dependent on Russia. That's just a bad setting for this kind of thing. And there are more examples I can give you, but—well, one more. Uh, Russia just staged— the biggest naval ex military exercises in the central Pacific that should be kind of our turf uh, since the end of the Cold War. meantime, if you look at President Biden and what he 's doing with our bud the u s budget, uh, social welfare spending is you know endless trillions are what they want, but for the american navy it 's basically a stasis we 're not keeping up with china we 're not doing things that would intimidate Russia, which is what we need to be doing there 's nothing here. That signals to Vladimir Putin that he needs to be genuinely scared. I think he must find this occasion, unfortunately, highly entertaining.
3: Right. Uh, uh, what do you think about the fact, Claudia, that it was it was Joe Biden's idea who trumped, pun intended, his aides, including his Secretary of State, in going ahead, allowing Germany to go ahead and Russia to go ahead and finish the Nord Stream Two pipeline. What do, What does that mean to you?
15: It means that we're not serious about it. He isn't all the talk. Yeah, and when President Biden, you know, earlier this year, gave us to understand he regards Putin as a killer, which is accurate. <laughs> um, but then, asked about it during his tour, uh, sort of fumbles the answer, wanders off into space. Um, it, the, when you sit down for a summit like this, the America, ha- the American leader, has to have a real strategy. Where does this go? And right now, it seems to be its show. It's so they can say the administration can say, well, we had this sit down. We had serious discussions. In fact, it's an incredibly long discussion, hours and hours and hours. What are doing? But where does this really get us Uh, for Vladimir Putin? It dignifies him greatly. You know, the biggest threat right now, the rising biggest threat is China with its aspirations to dominate the world. They've been buddying up with Russia. Uh, The only thing, the only redeeming thing I could see coming out of this, this summit is if the discussions include President Biden and his aides, talking with Putin about how China is ultimately a threat to Russia as well as to us. We're first in the line of fire. But Russia has this enormous spaces, resource resource rich in the Russian Far East, the north of a Chinese border that has a population of 1.4 billion versus a couple of million Russians in the Russian Far East. Someday, that's going to be a real point of contention. It's not yet. Okay, right now, Russia is chumming around with China. But we can't trust Vladimir Putin at all. Uh, He's an opportunistic dictator. As soon as he sees a chance, remember 2014 when he grabbed Crimea from Ukraine right after hosting the Sochi Olympics. And he did that at a very interesting moment, and we're sort of getting a replay of this. He did it as the Obama administration was starting talks for the Iran nuclear deal in Vienna the the six-party talks that were whatever, the EU talks. Yeah. And uh, Obama was very reluctant to be too hard on Russia for whatever array of reasons, but foremost, he needed Russia at the table for those talks. Well, here we are once again with the U.S., with the Biden administration trying to get back into the terrible Iran nuclear deal. And once again, President Biden wants Russia outside for that. That would mean concessions from the
3: U.S. Claudia, the other thing to keep in mind, he's already sold the uh, Iranians a sophisticated uh, defense missile system satellite. So he did that knowing that that was not going to be in our best interest. But he's just now he's trying to get on the side of our enemies, even though we're trying to got a deal with him. You mentioned we got to get his attention. Gary Kasparov was on with me on Fox and Friends today. This is what he said should have happened prior to this meeting. Cut 13.
9: Putin already got what he wanted, a summit. Yes, he might get even more, but the main exchange has already happened. Biden gave the credibility of the United States to a brutal dictator. And I heard a lot from those who defended the idea of the summit that Biden would go to Geneva to deliver a message, you know, very strong message. He'll talk tough. But if Biden wanted to send a real message to Putin, he would meet with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. He goes to Kiev. Uh, uh, That's a message uh, because Putin is invading Ukraine. He would meet uh, with Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, the real president of Belarus, living in exile or he'll meet with the families of Putin's victims, like Alexei Navalny's family. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, now he's representing America and the free world, and he gave Putin one of the greatest geopolitical triumphs.
3: I, I don't think you'll push back on any of those things, would you?
15: No, that's extremely well put. That's exactly the problem. And on things like the cyber attacks, again, the Biden administration effectively gave Vladimir Putin a pass when Russian hackers hit the colonial pipeline with ransomware uh, some weeks ago by saying, oh, these were private actors in Russia. It wasn't the Russian government involved. Well, let's be clear on how Russia works. Putin is the godfather, and it is, again, delusional or very misleading to, su- to say this, to suggest that he doesn't control what comes out of his turf. If it was a privately privately sort of bit of enterprise freelance rogue actors doing that from russia against the strategic u.s asset you can get your bottom dollar that putin wasn't going to just ignore that the fact that it happened uh almost certainly means that he approved of it possibly of course. it. but we have to hold him Immediately responsible. He's responsible for anything coming out of Russia like that. He's the dictator. It's his turf. And uh, again, when America starts making excuses for the dictators, that's not a good bargaining position. It's terrible. Uh,
3: It's not American. And Vladimir Putin has had a good time with that NBC interview, all 90 minutes airing in Russia on a loop. He feels as though he got his point across. He comes out very aloof. And he comes off very self-assured. AND THIS IS HOW, I KNOW you, THERE'S ALWAYS SOMETHING TO READ INTO SOMETHING. SO HERE'S HOW VLADIMIR PUTIN DESCRIBED DONALD TRUMP, CUT EIGHT.
8: YOU ONCE DESCRIBED PRESIDENT TRUMP AS A BRIGHT PERSON, TALENTED. HOW WOULD YOU DESCRIBE PRESIDENT BIDEN? No, well, EVEN NOW, I BELIEVE THAT FORMER
11: U.S. PRESIDENT MR. TRUMP IS AN EXTRAORDINARY INDIVIDUAL, TALENTED INDIVIDUAL, OTHERWISE HE WOULD NOT HAVE BECOME U.S. PRESIDENT.
10: HE'S A COLORFUL INDIVIDUAL. YOU MAY LIKE
11: HIM OR NOT. And, but he didn't come from the U.S. establishment. He had not been part of big-time
3: politics before, and some like it, some don't
9: like it.
11: But that is a fact.
3: And so what do you read in that? Is that something, is that a shot across the bow to Biden, who he went on to call a career man, radically different from Trump?
15: It's a put-down of Biden, and, yeah, you know, actually, it's a fairly accurate observation as well. It is. But it's usually, that's where it will resonate with the many people in the United States. But Vladimir Putin loves to mock the uh, the uh, American presidents when he gets the chance. If you remember when he grabbed Crimea, and basically when President Obama then invited him into Syria, uh, he that was even before the year before. Uh, no, what I'm trying to remember here is Edward Snowden defected. It left the U.S. in 2013, via Hong Kong ends up in Moscow, taking with him the playbook of the U.S. National Security Agency. And he ends up in Moscow. And President Obama made all these noises and protests and so on. But then went to a G20 summit in Moscow, uh, hosted by Vladimir Putin, effectively paid tribute. Vladimir Putin, went on the air mocking President Obama. And what he's doing, again, he's mocking Joe Biden. He's making a point for the world that the American president looks ridiculous. Unfortunately, there are some grounds for that. He's not wrong. Uh, And the real problem, the big problem here is Vladimir Putin. But what he does is he turns it around and mocks the fact that the American leaders are not addressing him in a way that deals with that problem.
3: We'll Exit uh, question, Claudia: it's Something a little unscripted that you never—I don't know if you've uh, been a part of before. There's not going to be a joint. Uh, there's not going to be a joint presser afterwards, unlike with President Trump and recent presidents. So, being that Vladimir Putin comes out first, what do you? If you're on the if you're on the Biden team, what are you writing? What are you doing? How many questions do you take? you know, you got to make sure you look strong in this, correct? So what do you say?
15: Unfortunately, well, you're right. That's what, it, that's what needs to be heard and seen. I can't imagine at this stage what real message they'd be able to come out with. If there's going to be a lot of talk. I don't see anything concrete and really beneficial for the U.S. coming out of this. So unfortunately... I think what we're going to hear, as opposed to what we should hear, will be a whole set of excuses, much like we've been hearing in the White House briefing room from Jen Psaki, which take reality and then sort of apply words that don't fit. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you listen to it and you think, what is she talking about? I, I think gotcha. that's what we're going to hear. Claudia. We'll hear that there was progress. There won't be.
3: Claudia uh, Rosette, thanks so much. Love your candor. Uh, love your insight. And your experience lines up perfectly with what we're experiencing right now in, and waiting on uh, in Geneva. Claudia, thank you. Thank you. one Your first chance to talk today. Then Senator and Dr. Roger Marshall of Kansas. Big show. Don't move.
2: Expanding your knowledge base, it's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts
11: Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: A radio show like no other, it's Brian Kilmeade.
6: You can't even have fun nowadays without these uh, jackasses trying to get you counseled and things like that. <laughs> We've had fun all these years, and now all of a sudden, in the last year and a half, everybody's trying to get everybody fired, and it really sucks, so they're coming for your head. You know, and a lot of our bosses are cowards. I said, context matters. They're like, context doesn't matter. I said, that's total BS. Context always has to matter. And But now, if you crack a joke the wrong way, They're like, oh, no, 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 no. You crossed the line. And he's 100% right.
3: And this is a powerful guy. He's probably the top five sports personalities and has been since he played, even while he was playing. And now that he's on TNT doing the scoreboard show, he's actually doing the NCAA playoffs now. Barkley says, when I get 60, I'm just retiring. I don't need this anymore. He's probably right. Although I think he needs, he's a guy that needs something to do besides play uh, bad golf. He, along with Shaq, uh, put together uh, I think he they play two, the two key guys on the best uh, scoreboard show out there, the most natural. But he was just talking about political correctness and what is happening uh, to this country. And I think he's got a great point, especially when he brings things up like that, because he is really impervious, almost impervious to being fired. He says controversial things. He thinks uh, San Antonio women are fat. Uh, they were insulted by that. He goes, but they are. I would never say anything like that. I don't even know if it's true. I don't think it's true. He can't generalize, but he doesn't think they eat well. But that is something that we talk about and we banter about. But now people just want to fire him. And he's laughing almost. Real quick, here's what Bill, uh, Bill Maher was even pointing out about a whole cancel culture. Even he called out, uh, he, he was talking about, uh, he was talking about uh, people of color and how things have gotten better. Cut 33. In a country that's 14% black, 18% of the incoming class of Harvard is black. And since 2017, white students are not even a majority in our public colleges. Employees of color make up 47% of Microsoft, 50% of Target, 55% of The Gap. The Friends reunion we just had looked weird. Because if you even suggested a show today about six people, all of whom were straight and white, the network would laugh you out of the room and then cancel you on Twitter. And he just thinks progressives have gone out of their minds, and he's one of them. When we come back, someone who's not. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas.
11: New from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
1: My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save
0: the world. You're welcome.
11: It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to
2: foxnewspodcasts.com. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade.
5: But I think his message has to be very clear. Uh, America' freedom, America's freedom is on the line. You're watching Democrats take over every aspect of our country with big tech, with media. Now, the corporate wolf culture with our education, if they have every lever of power, they'll take over the election process, stack the Supreme Court, get rid of the filibuster. I mean, we have the fundamental foundation of our nation on the line with this election, and that is why we have to take back the House and the Senate. It's five seats to take back the House, one seat to take majority in the Senate.
3: Yeah, uh, but you got to hold a lot of other seats. I mean, I think Marco Rubio is going to win, but it's not going to be easy. It's going to take a lot of money and energy. I think there's going to be a lot of seats there tough to win. Uh, I think uh, it's going to be hard. I know that people want to say Jug Jones uh, won in Alabama because they had the worst candidate, Republican, possibly candidate, running against him, and they say it's the same thing with Warnock. Not really. He's very good on camera. He's very sure of himself on his feet. I don't think he's a strong candidate, but I keep hearing that Atlanta's uh, changed dramatically. And, well, you know, Senator Purdue was not a bad candidate. Senator Kelly Loeffler was really weak. Uh, might have been really bright, but wasn't very natural on her feet, wasn't going deep into issues. The governor, Brian Kemp, picked her instead of Jug, uh, Doug Collins, which was a huge mistake. Doug Collins does not want to run. So that is going to be a hard one to win. And also holding Senator Portman's seat in Ohio is going to be a big challenge. We don't know if Ron Johnson is going to stay with it in Wisconsin. Wisconsin, as everybody knows, no one to tell you guys who follow this close how tough it is. True. Now, on to the Congress that we have at this moment. It is a senator that is a Republican. The Democrats are in charge of the Senate and the House. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, despite the fact that a bipartisan, bicameral proposal for infrastructure on President Biden's desk, says he will convene a meeting with 11 Democratic members of the Senate Budget Committee uh, to begin the process for passing a budget resolution, paving the way for Democrats to pass an infrastructure bill on a party line vote. Yes. Reconciliation. That's something Joe Manchin says he's not going to sign off on. What do they know and why would they do that, knowing that this proposal that amounts to about a trillion dollars is out there? Let's ask Roger Marshall, the Republican from Kansas, uh, from Kansas, uh, the senator there. Senator, welcome. Brian, good morning. How are you today? Good. We have a lot to discuss. But just on with the topic I just brought up. Why would Chuck Sumer move on reconciliation? Is he trying to say we don't believe? It might be procedural, but is he trying to say I don't believe in this bicameral, bipartisan proposal that President Biden is entertaining?
12: You know, it's so disappointing, Brian. The president has now walked away from three bipartisan packages, one on the House, two on the Senate uh... the senate republicans and democrats could figure this out uh, what was presented to us by that bipartisan group i really think we could get sixty seventy maybe uh, eighty votes on it to to get an infrastructure plan through so i'm waking up shocked today the democrats didn't even have enough people here yesterday to vote in the afternoon to get their some of their nominations through so now they're going to jump right to some type of a reconciliation process i think this just proves that the Democrats are not interest, interested in any type of bipartisan uh, solutions, that they want uh, to do this on a partisan basis, that they're being re- ran yeah. by their liberal left socialists. So the, and the this thing, is just the next example. Well, the
3: thing is, I don't think he has the votes. I mean, a lot of people on the Democratic side, reportedly, were not comfortable with the school lunches being part of infrastructure, free preschool, uh, free elder care, uh, all the other things about the uh, the uh, the— the climate change, the Green New Deal that has no business in this. So Schumer tacitly noted that a budget resolution would set the stage for passing elements of, his, of Joe Biden's $2.25 trillion American jobs plan and the $1.8 trillion American family plan with simple majority votes. Man, we don't have that type of money. And is he trumping the president on this? Is this another lack of coordination? Or do you believe that JOE BIDEN KNOWS EXACTLY WHAT'S GOING ON HERE.
12: WELL, I, I'M NOT SURE THAT JOE BIDEN KNOWS EXACTLY WHAT'S GOING ON HERE, BUT I THINK THAT THE PEOPLE uh, BEHIND THE SCENES DO, THAT WHOEVER IS RUNNING THE DEMOCRAT PARTY RIGHT NOW, whoever's RUNNING THIS AGENDA KNOWS EXACTLY WHAT'S GOING ON. NANCY PELOSI, CHUCK SCHUMER, THE WHITE HOUSE HAVE TO BE WORKING TOGETHER ON THIS. Um, And this, where do we start here? So he wants to borrow $8 trillion. Everyone agrees we need infrastructure plan, but we start disagreeing on how much, where we're going to spend it, and how we're going to pay for it. Uh, We want to repurpose money from the previous uh, COVID relief packages that we think uh, is being wasted, and he wants to add more social programs to the infrastructure. He wants to create social injustices by driving up inflation, driving up the cost of utilities, driving up the cost of groceries and gasoline. So I just think the American people have got to be getting pretty frustrated by now.
3: So what about critical race theory? I mean, it's it's very hot here. It's got people really at each other's throats in in Virginia. We know that for sure. In Massachusetts, we're seeing that every day. Uh, in New Jersey, in some cases, all over Florida, Governor DeSantis has moved on it. What about Kansas?
12: Well, I think Kansas wants Kansans to decide what our school curriculum should look like. We want the federal government out of our education in all ways, shapes, and forms. I think this is why it's so important. People ask me all the time, what can you do to help Roger Marshall elect I'm going to say godly men and women to your school to your school boards, people with traditional values to be on your school board, to be principals, to go into education. So, Kansans want this to be decided by by local uh, officials. And I think Kansans believe in traditional education.
3: So, when you have this private school in New York where people are bowing out of it now because it's all about race, white people condemning themselves, and blacks saying we're oppressed, I want you to listen to this, which caused some resignations and pre- kids being pulled out of school. This is a very prestigious school in Manhattan. Uh, the woman is Fa- for Famuda on this aired on Showtime. Listen to what these kids had to watch in school. Cut 24.
1: What percentage of white women do you hate? And there is a right answer.
5: Yeah, Yeah. there's no right answer. (laughs) Uh, I I actually never thought about this. I would say say that I am less concerned with race than you are.
3: So that's Annie Leibovitz, this this legendary uh, photographer. Uh, Then this Showtime special just talking about race nonstop. They saw this, they made their kids watch this, and people are pulling them out of school. Are you concerned about this? Well, of course I'm concerned.
12: Look, Brian, I think that America is not a racist country. I do think that there are individual racists. I think that all of us have uh, certain prejudices that we have to get over and improve upon. you know, I just don't see this in Kansas. I don't see the hatred. You know, my mom would wash her mouth out for saying a couple words, and hate was one of them. I, 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 I'm, I'm just beside myself to think about our religious freedoms being threatened. People wonder why I'm throwing such sharp elbows, but this would be one of the reasons.
3: So I want you to hear what Ronald McDaniel just told me, because President Trump is going to come out. He's going to go to the border. Uh, he is then going to go to Ohio, and then he's going to do a rally in Florida. Here's what Ronald McDaniel is hoping to hear.
5: President Trump will be a factor in helping turn out voters that may not identify as Republican, but love President Trump. And he, we're going to need him on the field to help make sure everyone understands the importance of taking back the House and the Senate. So do, you,
3: do you agree with that? You know,
12: absolutely. We need people that supported President Trump to come out and vote. That's the only way we can get the majority back in the House and the Senate, is we need all all of those folks under this big Republican tent to come out and vote. There's certainly just a huge level of excitement back home for President Trump. When I do town halls, yeah. uh, people just, just love, especially his policies as well. And uh, they, they frankly, I've never seen seen – folks just so angry. And what they're angry about is they feel like their voice in Washington is gone. The voice that was listening to them is gone now. So the Republican Party has to embrace those policies and hear those folks who maybe weren't traditional Republicans. But more and more, I see us becoming the party of hard, of hard workers, uh, the union people, those independents. And I don't, what I really see happening right now are those independent voters saying, look, we didn't sign up for this Joe Biden liberalism, a social agenda. Let's leave socialism for the communists.
3: So let's move on and talk about talking about communists. Uh, Let's talk about the summit that's going on right now. Round one (laughs) of the Biden Putin uh, talks in Geneva are done. They'll move on to round two with, I believe, the foreign minister and secretary of state by each other's side, respectively. They'll speak if either president wants them to. Gary Kasparov joined us, uh, joined me earlier on Fox and Friends, and he said. JOE BIDEN ALREADY LOST, CUT 13.
9: PUTIN ALREADY GOT WHAT HE WANTED, A SUMMIT. HE MIGHT GET EVEN MORE, BUT THE MAIN EXCHANGE HAS ALREADY HAPPENED. BIDEN GAVE THE CREDIBILITY OF THE UNITED STATES TO A BRUTAL DICTATOR. AND I HEARD A LOT FROM THOSE WHO DEFENDED THE IDEA OF THE SUMMIT THAT BIDEN WOULD GO TO GENEVA TO DELIVER A MESSAGE, YOU KNOW, VERY STRONG MESSAGE. HE'LL TALK TOUGH. BUT IF BIDEN WANTED TO SEND A REAL MESSAGE TO PUTIN, He would meet with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. He goes to Kiev. Uh, uh, That's a message, uh, because Putin is is invading Ukraine. He would meet uh, with Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, the real president of Belarus, living in exile. Or he'll meet with the families of Putin's victims, like Alexei Navalny's family. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, now he's representing America and the free world, and he gave Putin one of the greatest geopolitical triumphs.
3: Gary Kasparov, uh, hardly a, a conservative, but is pro democracy, and wants to. He despises what he said is a mob-like running of Russia, uh, the way they collect wealth, rob it from the people, and are bully abroad. He was just beside himself with what he was seeing today. How do you feel about that?
12: Well, Brian, that's a great clip. I heard it on the way uh, to work this morning on the radio as well. So I think you know, just a, a great job there getting that story out. But you're right. Uh, Biden's already lost this. He walks into this situation right now from a position of weakness. Putin has him well summed up. He has a history uh, of uh, of working with Biden in the past, so he knows exactly who he's talking with. He wanted the photo op. We have everything to lose to be there right now. We're just basically justifying his – justifying Putin's policies, right? And Putin is sitting there saying this has got to be the weakest president we've ever seen. He can't control his southern border. He can't control cyber security. Uh, the, the Chinese slapped him in the face in Alaska. And Putin is sitting there saying, how can I walk over this person right now? And I'm afraid that's what's happening.
3: It's American security. It's not even the Biden presidency. I'm really concerned about what happens after. Because this presidency, I thought, would be able to do the, to, to the little things right. Because they have so much experience. But my goodness, they missed D-Day. Uh, they they forgot to commemorate D-Day. I mean, they can handle Pride Month, but not the uh, not the invasion of Europe, forcing the Nazis out, where so many lost their lives. And I worry that they didn't even prethink the fact that their goals going in are are nebulous. And now they're not even doing a joint presser, and they raise the stakes so high. People have big expectations. When nothing comes out of this they don't I don't think they fully understand I believe the blowback they're gonna feel
12: you know Brian there's so much to grab there. You know what? What should we? We should be addressing things like cybersecurity. We should be addressing things like uh, the, the origin of COVID and stopping counterfeits coming into this country and fentanyl coming into this country, things which communist countries participate in. When I sit in the war room in private uh, financial institutions or for the military, and I, w- I look at the war map, the cybersecurity hits that are coming across the sea, they're all from totalitarian communist countries, from North Korea, from, from China, from Iran, from from Russia, so they're all working together now, uh, very very much so. Uh, so we need to be standing up to them. And, and I'm going to close you know, with this, is that words are truly cheap. My old track host used to say, don't tell me, show me. So this is a photo op. I'm afraid we're lo- going to lose the photo op uh, war here as well. I'm afraid that we're going to see a, a photo op where Putin comes out much, much stronger. And, and frankly, America is is not being put first right now.
3: Senator Dr. Roger Marshall, appreciate it.
12: You bet, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day.
3: You too. 1 866 408 7669. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. When we come back, we're going to find out what's on your mind when you call in.
2: Newsmakers and newsbreakers, hear it first only on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream,
11: sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening
2: to Fox News. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade.
3: Welcome back, everybody. I want to find out if there's a need to know more.
2: More to Know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D.
3: I don't usually like to start with CNN stories, but this one's too good to avoid. Jeffrey Tubin strikes again. Uh, This time at Brian Stelter's book party. He was a guest of a guest uh, you know he's disgraced he got his job back what's also funny is the political reporter the Tubin was at the party as a guest of a guest which seems like a really nice way to say he crashed he also told the New York Times that Ben Smith at the party that he absolutely wished he'd had a union he'd had a union at the New Yorker or, or else he would have worked to get back in the New Yorker oh my goodness I know there's a bunch of very
14: funny tweets, but Mary Catherine Ham said, Make an argument against unions without meaning to make an argument against unions. Jeffrey will go first.
3: <laughs> Next. <laughs> Juneteenth on the way to becoming the 12th federal holiday. Uh, it marks the day when the last enslaved African-American in Texas learned about their freedom. June 19th, 1865. More than 2, uh, 25 uh, 25 years after Abraham, Abraham Lincoln two and a half years after Abraham Lincoln signed the Emancipation Proclamation, the holiday being known as Juneteenth National Independence Day. I think that's good.
14: It is good, but you know what? It's not going to be on the calendar in Randolph, New Jersey.
3: Absolutely. <laughs> there, nothing at all is on the calendar, not even Christmas. Meanwhile, Harvey Weinstein is heading to Los Angeles in shame. He's going to be tried already serving 23 years in New York State. He's got a myriad of other lawsuits that he's facing. He's got six more charges involving two additional alleged victims. He is not in good shape politically. Uh, um, uh, legally Helplice. or health?
14: Yep, they tried to argue that, but he wasn't healthy enough to make the make the trip.
3: First charges in the Trump cases could come soon. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office appears to be entering the final stages of a criminal tax investigation into Trump's long, long-serving finance CFO Alan H. Weiselberg, setting up the possibility the executive could face charges this summer. They'll try to charge him and then get him to flip, right? The guy's just living in Wanton, Long Island. Leave him alone. They said that he uses some funds to help pay for a private school for
14: his kid. Yeah, but but he's still working for the Trump Organization, so it hasn't happened yet.
3: Right. Um, You know, that's all about getting President Trump, and it is so wrong. Next, Major League Baseball's crackdown on foreign substances because the pitchers were so strong. It starts on Monday. Players will have received a 10-game suspension for using substances that they say were acceptable. Players are responsible for their teammates' wrongdoing, so if the catcher is found to have doctored a pitch ball, both he and the pitcher will be suspended. I expect hitting to go up. How are they doctoring the balls? Uh, just substances they put on the cap or their belt to help with their grip. Uh. It was a wink and a nod. Now they're car- cracking down because nobody was hitting. There was about seven no-hitters or hitters already. Next. Smartphone-obsessed teens consume fewer vegetables, mindlessly eating more junk food. Teens use their smartphone so much, authors in this Korea university discovered, that if teens spend more than three hours per day on their phones, they also significantly get overweight... Research has analyzed representatives from over 53,000 Korean adolescents. Uh, You could do all that and play sports and probably be on weight. It's just so bad when you're on your phone all day. I
14: would agree, but at the same time, it it just seems the the obvious. I mean, I feel like most teens are smartphone-obsessed, right? How many other teens are really out there consuming tons of veggies? And then if you're on your phone, you're not moving. So you think you could be on your phone that long and still be super involved in sports?
3: You took I could have gotten two more stories in. I'm sorry. You really dove into this story in a way I wasn't expecting. But by <laughs> the way, there's nothing worse than seeing four people of any age at a table all on their phones, right?
14: I agree. I also thought you're the expert because you have teens.
3: Right. Uh, they feel pretty bad if they're on their phones. They so give me a reason now if we're at the table. I buy it usually.
11: Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details.
2: Live from the Fox News radio studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice. Brian, hi everybody. Brian Kilmeade, hi,
3: Brian Kilmeade to coming, coming to you from New York. Heard around the country. Heard around the world. This hour, we're going to be joined by Ned Ryan, founder and CEO of the American Majority, former writer for President George W. Bush, and uh, Martha McCallum. will finish up the hour. She gets set to host her show at three o'clock. We're watching the events that are unfolding in uh, in Geneva, uh, Switzerland, where this morning everything ran just about on time. Vladimir Putin arrived first. Joe Biden arrived second. They came out and did a three-shot on the porch. Then they did a pool spray where they sat in chairs next to their secretary of state and foreign minister, respectively. A little bit of a tussle with the media. But they are frustrated, are there American media, because Joe Biden has done almost no media appearances. There's been nothing to do. So they bring these men and women across the country, you know, to do their jobs, to make news, to ask a question. He's probably asked 15 questions in the last eight days. So it's uh, seven days. So it's been very frustrating. Uh, Ned Ryan's got a new book out called The Adversaries, the Story of Boston and Bunker Hill. We'll get to that and get to Ned in just a moment. So let's get to the big three.
2: Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three.
4: Number three. Former President Trump will join Texas Governor Greg Abbott for a tour
3: of the border later this month.
5: It comes as Abbott vows to fund border wall construction. He will unveil more details about his plan today.
3: President Trump is going up to the border. He's going to hold rallies in Ohio and Florida in the coming weeks. What should he say and what role should he play in getting Congress back in the hands of Republicans?
6: Number two. You can't even have fun nowadays without these uh, jackasses trying to get you counseled and things (laughs) like that. I said, context matters. They're like, context doesn't matter. I said, that's total BS. Context always has to matter. But now, if you crack a joke the wrong way, They're like, oh, no, 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 no. You crossed the line. And he knows who that's like. Uh, Charles
3: Barkley spent his whole time, made a lot of money by crossing the line, and he has had it with cancel culture. Never woke enough. From comedians to NBA legends, more and more unlikely critics are emerging to push back on the cancel culture craze and the critical race curriculum. Will it be enough to stem the offensive tide? Number one, Mr.
7: President of the Russian Federation, Mr. President of the United States of America, on behalf of the Swiss government, I would like to welcome you to Geneva, the city of peace. I wish you both presidents a fruitful dialogue in the interest of your two countries and the world.
3: Best wishes and goodbye. (laughs) I love that. And goodbye. I am not staying. I don't like either one of you. We're Switzerland. We don't like conflict. It's summertime. Vladimir Putin and Joe Biden are meeting right now. What is the best outcome we can hope for and how cyber weapons have replaced nuclear weapons as the key to peace between the two countries? Uh, Joining me now is Ned Ryan. Ned, always great to talk to you. What, uh, What do you expect to emerge today when they meet with the press separately around noon Eastern time?
4: Um, Let's just say, Brian, I have very low expectations across the board whenever Biden uh, is involved. So I have to tell you, whatever the lowest expectations can be, those are my expectations.
3: What do you think about the decision to have them appear separately, not together?
4: You know, I I have to tell you, there's clearly people that are protecting Biden from, you know, fully interacting with the media, putting him into situations where they know he can't handle it. I mean, it's clear, and, and I'm just going to say this, it's clear something's – he's not up to snuff. Uh, and so they're protecting him from a lot of questions, from situations where he can't hold his own. Uh, so, I, you know, it's always been my theory. I'm not really sure he makes it through the first term. Um, and I think this, this European trip has shown uh, more evidence that uh, I think I'm going to be right.
3: Well, a couple of things. It's obvious the vice president – Is not ready for prime time. I mean, you you saw she has never been strong. She had one good speech to launch her campaign. Her staff fell apart. She can't do an interview. Tulsi Gabbard took her apart and she's never recovered. She was terrible in Mexico and Guatemala. So there's no help on the way.
4: No, but I mean, let's remind people yet again, she was getting one to two percent of the vote in the Democratic primary. Democrats didn't even like her, uh, and now she's been elevated to vice president because I think there's powers that be, again, Obama and Valerie Jarrett, that want to see her eventually, you know, climb to be the president of the United States. But she's not up to it. I, I you know, I don't want to be overly harsh. She clearly doesn't know what she's talking about half the time. I don't know if that's just from pure ignorance or lack of IQ. But I, I will say this: I, I do think that she will be president before this first term is over. Uh, And I'm, you know, I'm hopeful that we're going to see Trump run again. And I'd love to see a Trump versus Harris uh, in 2024.
3: And we'll get to that because you saw, you know, you you and Trump. I know your dad uh, got the uh, Congressional Medal of Honor, right?
4: Uh, presidential Pres- Medal of Freedom, that's right, last mental summer. Freedom. It was amazing.
3: Right. So I know I know you uh, have his respect and it's mutual, and I know you work for George W. What about the Vladimir Putin relationship? I remember that George H.W. saw it deteriorating after our hardy work with Yeltsin and said, why don't you come visit me in Kenny Bunkport? Bring Vladimir Putin. Let's get you guys together. Nothing has brought this country together. Vladimir Putin with the U.S. Uh, can you tell me what you observed?
4: My my thing is this. I mean, just having observed what Trump was doing, and again, despite all the crazy conspiracy theories and whatever about Russia, I mean, Trump took the right stance. I mean, this whole Nord Stream 2 situation, the pipeline obviously that's going to run Russian energy into Germany, I mean, that kind of was a microcosm of how Trump was approaching Putin. Listen, we can be friends on a certain level. We have to work together on a certain front, but I'm not going to let you have energy dominance over Europe – uh, to use it as a negotiating tool. So it was, this, it was the proper stance that Trump was taking on Putin of, hey, I realize we've got to work on a few fronts. China's the bigger threat. At the same time, you will not use energy as a negotiating tool to try and bring Europe under your sway. So, you know, hopefully we'll get a president like that again who will actually be able to have the right stance when it comes to Russia.
3: I want to talk about your book, The Adversaries History Story of Boston and Bunker Hill, but I just want to finish this up. I thought President Zelensky of Ukraine and sitting down with CBS – my hope was that the President said, "I'm going to fast track Ukraine's Ukraine's membership into into NATO. They want it, and I think uh, it would absolutely send a great message to Russia. We're not taking it, it anymore. Here's what uh, President Zelensky said to why the American people should pay attention to his country, cut ten.
1: The USA is a very long way from here. Why should ordinary Americans care what's happening here in Ukraine? It can
13: be tomorrow, their houses.
1: You're saying if Russia will do this here, it might do it tomorrow in the rest of Europe. Why not?
5: Why not?
1: The next day, attack America. Why
5: not? I don't know why. Why not? Because they're
3: doing just about anything else they want. They're in Syria. They took portions of Georgia. They told us not to go into the Black Sea with our naval ships, and we didn't. So they're getting away with everything. They're taking the Arctic.
4: We, we we should care about the Ukraine and what's going on. We should also care about the Three Seas Initiative, which is the, the Eastern and Central European, about 11, 12 countries, that really do kind of form that border between Russia and Western Europe. There are people, right, Poland, Hungary, all of that. We should care what's going on over there because Russia does have imperial ambitions. You know, if it wasn't for their nuclear weapons, obviously they'd be more of a regional power, but they do. They have nuclear weapons, so we have to take them seriously and understand. I mean, Putin is a thug. At the same time, I think the biggest threat is China. So we have to deal with them, keep them inside their borders, keep them in check, uh, and you know that's why we should care about Ukraine and the Three Seas Initiative and the Intermarium. So, yeah, it, 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 hopefully the American people are going to get up to more more to speed on these issues. But you know, don't bank on the media helping them out on that.
3: Front. So there's a war on history. You're pushing back right. with this book, The Adversaries: A Story of Boston and Bunker Hill. That's what, right. In what way do you think Bunker Hill? really characterizes Americans?
4: You know, it's a story for all time. I, I, mean, I make this point that it, it is principled defiance in the face of arbitrary and overwhelming authoritarianism. And that's why it's a story for all time in which, you know, tomorrow is Bunker Hill Day. It's the drop of the book. But when these American colonists realized, you know, words are done, we're actually going to have to fight for our freedom— uh, against the you know the british against parliament against the king's ministers because they refused to reason and i think the thing that i try to really explore obviously it revolves around dr joseph warren somebody whose life i've always you know been fascinated by who quite frankly ronald reagan brian was fascinated by and he mentions him in his first inaugural address and calls him you know perhaps one of the greatest of the founding fathers so it revolves around Dr. Joseph Warren, but it's about the last nine or ten months before Bunker Hill as, as Englishmen, right? Eighty-five percent of Massachusetts at the time was English, direct lineage, how they stopped talking to each other because they couldn't agree on some fundamentals. What does it mean to actually have rights? What does rule of law mean? You know, it, All of these debates where finally they realized, well, we're going to have to settle this not with words but with muskets.
3: And they do. And it and the fight goes so hard and so well, they actually the, – the, the British leave Boston. That's right.
4: No, I mean – so I have this interaction where this young uh, captain from Connecticut by the name of Benedict Arnold comes into Cambridge, has a conversation with Warren about some of his plans to take Ticonderoga because there's a small garrison there, but it has 100 cannon. And so Warren actually signs off, and this actually does happen, Brian, where he signs off on Benedict Arnold's plan to take Ticonderoga, and those cannon are eventually brought down by a bookseller out of Boston by the name of Henry Knox, who plays a role in this book. And obviously by 1776, they've got all these cannon around Boston, are able to drive the British out of Boston, you know, back uh, out of Boston and then be able to take it. But it, it, it really is an incredible story when you realize, you know, all the debates that kind of we're having today. You know, what does it mean to have natural rights? What does it mean when our rights are written out in black and white and our Constitution and Bill of Rights back then? They had the sixteen twenty eight Petition of Right, they had the sixteen eighty nine Bill of Rights. The American colonists felt that these ideas were sacrosanct where Parliament and the king's ministers kind of felt they were a series of suggestions that they could ignore to actually advance their temporary interests. So I kind of deal with some of those dynamics, obviously deal with Lexington and Concord, and then obviously culminate with the Battle of Bunker Hill.
3: Well, fantastic! it sounds fantastic, especially with the 4th of July coming up. Bunker Hill Day is uh, tomorrow. So, uh, Ned, best of luck with it. We'll come back and talk about it again.
4: Sounds good. Thanks, Brian.
3: Uh, congratulations. Pick it up. It's called The Adversaries. Download it now. A story of Boston and Bunker Hill. Another reason to love America. Uh, when we come back, your phone calls. Then we welcome in Martha McCallum, host of the story at 3 o'clock.
2: This is The Brian Kilmeade Show from the Fox News Podcasts Network.
11: I'm Ben Dominic, publisher of The Federalists, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Dominic Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
2: Radio that makes you think. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show.
9: Europe keeps caving in to Putin without American leadership. Yeah. And Biden was supposed to stop that, even campaign on it. He called Putin a killer, correctly. But looking tough in Geneva or using strong words, doesn't matter. Action matters. And so far, Biden is failing that test. And no matter what he says after this meeting, no matter what kind of press release uh, the the White House and State Department will will put uh, on, it's the, the facts, you know, stays there. Putin got what he wanted because there is no common interest. There's no area of cooperation between Putin's mafia regime and the United States.
3: Gary Kasparov, the internationally a renowned chess player and activist trying to bring a democrat democracy to Russia, is couldn't be more frustrated than the fact that Joe Biden is meeting with Vladimir Putin, a man he considers a mobster. Uh, Martha McCallum here, not in the mob that we know of. I asked mm. uh, I asked Allison to look into her background. Mm. We've gotten nothing. Mm-hmm. She's host of the story at three o'clock. Martha, he's very frustrated. He says that Putin has already won. He's got a point.
1: Yeah, he does. I I mean, you think about the things that could have been used as leverage for this meeting. That are now gone, right? So all of the opportunities that might have existed for some kind of agreement over these uh, cyber crimes that have been that have been committed in the United States, uh, you look at the possibility for some of these prisoner exchanges as as potential for leverage for that meeting. Um, those are all now gone.
3: Yeah, you have the Nord Stream two pipeline. Well, we already agreed to extend That's over. it. Over, yeah. And what about the report in the Washington Post yesterday that it was Joe Biden himself? who trumped his staff in going ahead and letting him finish this.
1: Can you imagine? I mean, I always play the what if it were Trump game just because I like to look at things in a very like straightforward yeah. way, right? And how the treatment is different. It, it would be like, wait, why is President Trump cozying up to Vladimir Putin and giving him this pipeline that he wants. Why is there no coverage like that? Why, you know, remember all the mystery? Like, why would President Trump allow Why would he do this? He must be best friends with Vladimir Putin. He must admire Vladimir Putin. So my question is, does, does President Biden admire him? Does President Biden, you know, to me, it all boils down to this on, on this pipeline issue, right? You're president of the United States. You have a choice. You are, you know, taking over an energy independent nation. So you say to yourself, let's let's give up our energy independence, but let's make sure that Russia has theirs.
3: Yes. Make any sense? Saudi Arabia is empowered. Iran has the oil prices go up and they get more power.
1: I mean, this is a one horse town, right? I mean Russia is all about energy. That's all they've got. They don't have thriving industries besides their energy. That's their whole economy. So the fact that we have taken that away from them, gaining energy independence for the United States was such an enormous story. It shifted the geopolitical. Uh, Seen uh, around the world, we were no longer dependent on the Middle East, no longer dependent on Russia. You know, we had all of this power that we picked up from becoming energy independent. I, I can't for the life of me figure out just strategically, politically, why it makes any sense to give it away.
3: And here's the other thing that came up: leverage. Uh, remember, we were the first thing Joe Biden says, "I'm keeping that Star Treaty. I'm going to extend it yeah. five years." That Star Treaty is something that was constraining our nuclear forces, but China, but Russia was just ignoring it. So. Donald Trump ripped it up, he taped it back together, and then you have uh, a situation where uh, you 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 have the prisoner exchange be one thing. The other thing that he's done uh, made it pretty clear is that with these cyber hacks, what we can hope for, I understand, what they're trying to see if they can put in writing. Yeah, you can hack us. But can we mutually agree not to do each other's electric grids, election systems, water, energy pipelines, and nuclear power plants, as well as nuclear weapon systems? How would that go over if he said we're going to hack each other, Mm -hmm. just not that stuff?
1: Well, I, I just can't I can't imagine how that is a lie. So you can steal some of my stuff discussion. not all of it. No, it it makes absolutely no sense at all. And the thing that's interesting when you just look at the sort of, you know, Trump doctrine versus the emerging Biden doctrine is that President Trump's way of sort of resetting was to rip up the agreement. Was to say we're gone, right? We're gone from the Iran deal, we're gone from this, uh, this WHO. You know, absolutely. So, but but it's clear that this is, you know, it's a different way of looking at at ruling, at leading the nation. Um, there, it's always like, let's try to fix it. Let's try to tweak around the edges on this agreement, whether it's the Ron deal or this nuclear deal. They're saying, well, why would you throw out the nuclear deal that's in existence? But the fact is that everyone knows it. Russia's been cheating on this deal, right? So th- it's just a very different perspective. And when you do, when you hit the restart button, when you throw the chessboard up in the air, you do you know, tick people off. And that is what happened. But you also give yourself a new starting place.
3: Also, I would say this. Don't tell me that it was a good idea for Joe Biden to say this. Uh, well, when, uh, when he sits down with George Stephanopoulos. Cut five.
8: You said you know he doesn't have a soul. I did say that to him, yes. No. And to and his response was, we understand one another. I wouldn't be a wise guy. I was alone
11: with him in his office. That's how it came about. It was when President Bush had said, I've
3: looked in his eyes and saw a soul. I said, look in your eyes, and I don't think you have a soul. And he said, as long as we understand each other. So Vladimir Putin said this never happened. But he said this publicly again. So he said that Vladimir Putin, when he took office there about a couple of weeks, has no soul and is a killer. If you're going to negotiate with someone, either you're going to go in there and just blow the place up and you have no interest in even having any decorum. But if you want to get a deal, you don't get a deal that way. You might say that upon further uh, further review. Joe, George Bush could say it. But not if you're going to deal with him. Now he comes back and walks it back and says he's a worthy adversary. He's a very smart guy. Can't have it both ways. That's a mistake. The Star Treaty, a mistake. The Nordstrom Two Treaty, a mistake. You can't tell me this is smart stuff. This is where he's supposed to be experienced.
1: Yeah, but his experience, we know. And, and that's why we already know so much about the way that the Obama-Biden administration approaches all of these things. And we're seeing a repetition of it. You know, he got definitely boxed into that answer. Do you think that he's a killer? And, you know, you could see the wheels turning, how do I answer that? You know, it's like right. a it's like a do you still, you know, beat your wife question. Like there's you know, every both answers are right. really bad. But right? you can
3: just say, Listen, that's stuff that I'm gonna talk to him about. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. And you've moved, you're seventy eight years yeah. old, been doing this since you were twenty five.
1: So he yeah, so he just basically made-
11: it's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one on one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to FoxNewsPodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News.
2: Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show.
1: Experts say Russian hackers are using Ukraine as a testing ground, including attacking the power grid before using similar tactics in the U.S. And this year, tens of thousands of Russian troops massed at Ukraine's border. The goal, apparently, to scare an American ally and send a threat to the West.
3: It Worked. I mean, it mm-hmm. definitely got everybody's attention. And when our ships came into the Black Sea, uh, Vladimir Putin said, don't bring them. And we turned around. Yes. Martha McCallum here. Martha, we're just trying to figure out, uh, we know that Vladimir Putin and President Biden have left their meeting. We know that Vladimir Putin will meet first uh, with the press in about a half hour, you think, uh, to get to the location. We're seeing a split screen of the press in place, distanced, and then Vladimir Putin will go first, followed by Joe Biden. So you're trying to figure out with the story at 3 p.m. Eastern time.
1: It's all about me, Brian. It's all about, it's all about how it's going to affect me. Not not U.S.-Russian relations, but what time will this be happening? Um, it, they're about an hour behind schedule at this point. I know I was listening to you guys, great coverage this morning, and um, they started running a little bit behind. But I'm wondering if, they, if they've maybe caught up a little bit in the past few minutes. So it looks like it's going to be... Probably about one o'clock hour for the Putin presser, and I think Biden will will follow quickly on that. Just depends on how many questions they take, how long they want to stay out there. I think everybody would have loved to have seen them out there together, um, but I think that the Trump experience probably it made the Biden folks say, no "Yeah, way. we we don't need to do that. We don't right. need to do
3: that." And plus, look at the experience Vladimir Putin has. Remember, I mean, he took presidents, with, yeah, with uh, Clinton, with Bush. Did he did he get Bill? He had Bill Clinton. Right. Mm-hmm. Then he had George Bush, obviously Barack Obama for eight years. Then he yep. had Donald Trump. So this is his fifth president. And even though you would think Joe Biden would be as experienced as Vladimir Putin in situations like this, he's former chairman of foreign relations. We're not asking him to explain the intricacies of the economy, mm-hmm. but he's not. I mean, if you watched, I mean, he cuts himself off a lot in his sentences. And Vladimir Putin has been very aggressive in attacking the weaknesses that he sees, that June 6th, January 6th, he keeps bringing that up. Yep, He talks Black Lives about, yeah, Matter. He talks about Black Lives Matter. He and, said,
1: next, you're going to blame that on me. Right. You know, they blame us, uh, everything on us, cyber attacks. It's very interesting. I mean, it was the same exact playbook with the Russian collusion story, right, which did turn out to fall apart. But he was basically saying, you know, we had nothing to do with it. There's no, um, you know, there obviously was evidence of election interference. um, But he just basically says, he just laughs it off, says that wasn't us. Now he's doing the same thing with this cyber warfare, cyber attacks on our Food industry on our energy industry, uh, and says that he had you know nothing to do with it, nothing to see here. Move on. Um, he just laughs it off.
3: Here's what Rick Grenell uh, said yesterday about what Vladimir Putin has already done. Cut nineteen.
8: It doesn't really matter what's going to happen at this uh, Biden Putin meeting. Uh, Putin's already won. The one thing that he wanted was the pipeline, gas pipeline, which gives him leverage. And massive amounts of money for decades. If we were focused on what's best for America, we would have put our foot down like the Trump administration did and said, no, we're going to continue sanctioning a Russian pipeline that will put massive amounts of leverage for decades into Europe by Putin and the Russians. We didn't do that. We gave up because Joe Biden maximizes being liked and having consensus with. The Europeans
3: and the Germans aren't much help either
1: no and that that's what's so interesting here we're seeing a real shift in the global dynamic right so here we are President Biden in Europe for the la- during the course of this week trying to mend those relationships with 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 Germany with France right everybody's back slapping oh it's so great to have you back in the group wow. all of this stuff right but the fact of the matter is that that you know Germany's doing what they want they're they're building their relationship with Russia they're building their relationship with China and so is France nobody wants to look this gift horse in the mouth and say no we're not we're going to cut back our e- economic ties with any chinese companies that have military ties that none of that is happening and it, i think which we the, did Exactly. And I think one of the interesting things to note here is that we are less and less dependent on these relationships with Europe. I mean, obviously, NATO is a very important alliance when it comes to to pushing back against Russia. But the fact of the matter is that when it comes to China, the bigger threat that we face, it's the Indo-Pacific region that we really have to focus on, right? Japan, Australia, those are the relationships that are probably going to become more important to us in a geopolitical uh, landscape than Europe at this point. They've already given up They're like, we'll do business with Russia. We'll do business with China. We don't care about the human rights uh, uh, violations. And so that puts us kind of in a weird spot
3: the economic extortion, 51% of every company that we invest in. That's right. We are going to give up the fact that uh, they've just poisoned and killed tens of thousands of their fellow countrymen and they've not come clean on this. So what do you really stand for? Well, if you're Germany, you stand for Volkswagens and BMWs. Mm -hmm. And that's what you want to sell over there. And they made that clear. So what you got to do is convince them. I saw this stat today. that When the G7 started in the 70s, they made up over 50% of the world economy. Now it's down to 30. And when... uh, when uh, China even said that, one of their statements was the times in which these seven nations can decide what the world to be doing are now over. The G20 is a much more interesting one. Yes. And that's where you get a lot of adversaries together, which you, you could probably make more progress to have a real conflict.
1: Uh, 100%. I, I mean, this dynamic has changed. And you know what? I think President Trump— I know President Trump recognized that. Said it. You know, he went in there and said, look, you know, we're all for being tough on Russia. And in fact, when you look at the moves that he made, he he helped Ukraine more than anybody, more than the gave Obama Biden administration. Aid. He gave him more than meals ready to eat. Remember John McCain being so incensed over uh, the lack of help that was going to some of these nations as a result of the pressure that was put on them. Um, but, you know, it's the the proof is always in the pudding. And Trump, you know, walked into the NATO building and remember, and he's like, wow. This is a nice place. Yeah, Lots of sunlight. Really, really beautiful building you guys built here. How'd you do that? With whose money did you build this amazing, beautiful edifice? And it was ours. You know what? Over budget. Yeah. I I mean, people understand strength. People understand tough talk. And the fact of the matter is that NATO got stronger and had more money to defend itself against Russia because of those investments by all those countries.
3: And... That's why it's just such a simpleton approach to say, well, they liked uh, they liked Biden, they hated Trump. Yeah,
1: who cares?
3: But also, I remember Nikki Haley saying to me, uh, it was kind of off camera, she came in from her post at the U.N., she said, whatever you want to say about Trump, I've never seen anything like it. What do you mean? He says... I have people come up to me 24 hours a day want pictures with him. Mm -hmm. As soon as he walks in the building, he is a rock star. And I've never seen a U.S. president or any official like this. They all want to have a word with him. They all want to get their point across. They all want to try to win him over because he's hard to win over. You know, ever Macron had had an approach to it? Remember the
1: whole thing on the cover they, that they were like buddies? You know, they were kind of like holding hands as they left each other. Macron wanted Trump to like him. Right. There's no doubt about it. Now they watch this. They're like, oh, this is easy. Right. Right. They, it's, it's easy. But but being nice and being liked is pretty much it, it, it's very low on the importance scale right. when it comes to dealing country to country. And, you know, I think President Trump. He, he did win a lot of people over, despite what you hear everywhere else.
3: Talk about likable. was the inverse of uh, likable? Hillary Clinton. Uh, and, <laughs> and she spoke this morning on another channel, still obsessed with the election and obsessed with Donald Trump and Vladimir Putin. Listen to her speculate on what happened to her and what will happen now. Cut 23.
0: Trump has elevated him. Uh, Trump, um, in, from the very beginning, even when he was running uh, in 2016, Uh, basically uh, lifted up Russia and lifted up Putin uh, as against our own country and our own president. And that behavior and that rhetoric continued. So it's difficult to say let's turn the clock back and go from where I thought we were when I left being uh, Secretary of State to today. We not only lost four years, we emboldened uh, Putin. Uh, We gave him a green light. Uh, I never thought I would see some of what we saw uh, during the four years of the Trump administration, where we had a president who uh, derided our intelligence agencies, who basically dismissed the hard work of, you know, countless federal uh, officials who took that oath to serve the United States.
3: Well, she's talking about Helsinki and those, some of those comments, but the but the intelligence agency did get a lot wrong when it came to Russia. But what are your thoughts about what she just said? There's so many false
1: to substantiate her argument when she says, I, "I never thought I'd see some of what I saw," and how Putin was emboldened because the two examples that we just talked about the Nord Stream pipeline and the amassing of troops on Ukraine were both given to Putin in the Biden administration and the start agreement. Those are the three most crucial aspects of our relationship, right? Protecting NATO countries, the question of whether or not Ukraine and Georgia become members of NATO. Obviously, Putin has been mourning the loss of the Soviet Union for decades. He wants to put it back together. NATO presents the biggest threat to him. President Trump emboldened NATO, built up the defenses of NATO and helped Ukraine defend itself against Russia with real military power. So, you know, she can talk all she wants about how she perceived what was happening and the emboldening of Putin. But the the bottom line is I'd love for her to actually lay out the specifics of what she's talking about. But she doesn't do that, of course. The, The fact of the matter is that Putin has an easier time now.
3: What's the first thing that she did? advised Barack Obama to take that missile system out of Western Europe in 2008 for right. no reason. So he didn't Bob. earn it, the restart. He goes, I'm going to show you. This is going to be my overture to you to say let's yes, reset the relationship. Point.
1: This is such a great point. And you remember President Obama leading leaning in to Medvedev. I'll have more flexibility after my election. What was he talking about? Removing missile defense systems from Eastern Europe because Russia didn't want those breathing down their neck. And he was promising, you know, giving, giving this— open carte blanche that you don't have to worry about that stuff after i'm elected again but i have to look tough now until after the election then i'm gonna you know we can talk about removing missile defense systems that protect eastern europe from russia it i mean there's just so much hypocritical talk that you know really just ignores the the basic facts of what you see on the ground and
3: just to relive that moment we don't want to live for the first time since the 70s The Russians came back into the Middle East under Barack Obama. It was ISIS, the JV team, that go ahead and almost took Baghdad when we had to put our troops in. And then they started pushing back on ISIS, at which time Russia says, I'm not going to let my only ally, true ally in the region go down. In come Russian troops. They knocked on the Baghdad door of the embassy. Just want to tell you we're here now. Look out for us. Mm -hmm. And things haven't been the same since in the region, You're and Assad right. is still in power.
1: That's right. And You're Turkey right.
3: has a missile defense system, uh, which was actually bought during the Trump years, but the deal was done during the Obama years. Uh, so we have a lot to discuss. This was a we should offer credits for this for the last. We should <laughs> if you listen to this, you should get three credits into your local university. Yeah, probably. Really,
1: yes, it's probably more relevant to what's going on in the world than a lot of the things that you are learning at your university. So absolutely. I'll give it to them free.
3: And when we come back, and we'll we'll cut in if Vladimir Putin speaks, but we'll find out if Martha needs to know more, and she'll tell us exclusively who's going to be on her show.
2: Giving you everything you need to know, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio, you're with Brian Kilmeade.
8: There are many things that remain to be resolved. But, uh, both sides, including the Americans, are geared toward finding a solution. Turning now to Ukraine, yes, this issue was discussed. I can't say that I can't say it was discussed in detail. But as far as I've understood, President Biden, he agrees that the basis for a settlement in Ukraine, the basis needs to be the Minsk agreements.
3: Yeah, that is just one of the questions If Vladimir Putin has handled. He's taken about three already as he has emerged from the Biden-Putin uh, press conference as scheduled. Uh, Martha McCallum here, Martha. He came out first, took questions right away. So far, I think we have all, uh, we have uh, two Russian questions. Mm-hmm. And now let's listen into, I think this is an American question. Let's listen as the translation takes over.
8: States. Did you commit to stopping threatening Ukraine's security? And did you commit to stop... Cracking down
7: on the opposition <coughs> in
0: Russia? First, I think there was
8: no hostility, quite the contrary. Our meeting took place principally speaking. Many of our positions, we don't share the same positions in many areas, but I think that both of these sides showed a willingness to understand one another and to find ways to bring our positions closer together. The talks were quite constructive.
11: As for cybersecurity,
8: we reached an agreement, chiefly, that we will start negotiations on that. I think that's extremely important. Now, as for who needs to take on any sort of commitment, I'd like to inform you of something. I'm talking about something that's already well-known, but not known to the broader public
13: not from American
8: sources. I'm I'm afraid that I'll confuse the names of organizations. Uh, But as for American sources, they've said that most of the cyber attacks in the world are carried out from the cyber realm of the United States. In second place is Canada. Afterwards, Latin American countries. And then comes Great Britain. Russia on this list. Where's Russia on this list?
7: Well, we are a country whose cyber territory
8: has the the most – Russia is not on the list. Number one,
10: secondly,
8: we have received from the United States ten requests regarding cyber attacks on attacks in the United States. As our colleagues have told us, they are from the cyber realm of Russia, and there were two requests this year. Both last year and this year, our colleagues have received exhaustive responses. For our part, Russia last year sent, in accordance, uh, sent to the state structures of the U.S. 40, over 40, and uh, 35 this year, and we still haven't even received a single response on that front. This says that we do have something to work on, and the question of who, to what degree needs to take on responsibility, that should be resolved during the negotiation process. We're going to start... So there you go. And Martha McCallum here, Martha, pretty astounding. Mm-hmm. He just said the
3: cybersecurity attacks, uh, an American source told him, a newspaper, he was afraid of screwing up the outlets, that it was uh, the U.S. who has the most uh, attacks, followed by Canada and the U.K. The Russians aren't, even, Russians aren't even on that list.
1: Yeah, he's trying to put the idea out there that Russia is not a central source of cyber attacks around the world. He said, we're not even on the list. When you look at the top offenders in cyber attacks, he claims the United States is first, Canada, then Latin American countries, then Great Britain. He says Russia is not even on the list. He said, in fact, we have had inquiries coming to Russia about cyber attacks in terms of whether or not we were responsible for them. It A handful, I think he said, in the teens. Then he said, we have 35 to 40 requests coming from Russia to the United States asking for information about cyber attacks against us, and we have received no response from the united states
3: and we know that too uh, when vladimir putin lost his guy in ukraine they've been uh, harassing that country ever since he said we did talk about the ukraine pince uh, uh and it's all about the minced agreements which we could kind of look up and go into which was uh roughly something they were supposed to be in accord with I, I believe already so he said that he did speak somewhat positively but right there if he was sitting next to a martha he would say right away do not look at the U.S. as the number one offender when it comes to right. cyber attacks. If Joe Biden was there, he would have said that.
1: Right. He could have just said, excuse me, uh, Mr. President, that that is not the case. They also talked a lot about Ukraine. Interesting stuff coming out here. They're going to return the ambassadors. Uh, that was the first thing he said for Good. both countries.
3: Martha will watch you at three. I'll be on tonight at seven. Uh, so it'll be great. You'll Thanks, have Brian. a lot of breaking news. Joe Biden will be next, I think.
1: Yes. Looking forward to that.